This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. You're listening to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 111. Welcome to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Cheryl Coolman. And I'm Sandy Hunt. And we're here live every Thursday morning from 8 to 10 a.m. Eastern, and then we're played during the week. So now we're going to have our final guest, who is Sinai Mohammed, who's the Director of Community Engagement at Clarify. Um, at Clarify, she leads agency programs and strategic partnerships and has uh, done a great deal of work in in. Um, in Increasing the financial coaching programs, originating a financial literacy online library, and and spearheading a new agency initiative to reach local communities of color by addressing the racial wealth gap. And so we'll really want to talk about that. So welcome, Sinai. Hi, thanks for having me. Good. We're glad to have you on. So I think people, people know... I mean, Clarify has a pretty good brand locally, but can you sort of give the, the top-level discussion of what the mission is and purpose? Yeah, sure. So um, Clarify uh, began in 1966 as Consumer Credit Counseling Service of Delaware Valley. And so most people know us um, through that name, depending on how you may, how long you've been in Philadelphia. Right, right. Um, And so uh, we started as most uh, CCCSs did through the National Foundation for Credit Counseling focused on debt management plans. Um, In the late 60s, early 70s, folks got overwhelmed with credit card debt, um, and so we helped people sort of get ahead of that and understand how credit cards work and uh, negotiated uh, repayment plans. And so that work has expanded to include um, housing counseling uh, for during the you know Great Recession, that was of course in, in high demand and continues to be a challenge in some of our area. Um, and so, and we've also added some additional work um, um, and grown additional work to help people reduce debt improve their credit, um, keep their homes that they bought through foreclosure prevention work, um, prepare for home ownership, and just overall financial wellness as well to include some of our uh, matched savings programs, um, supporting uh, uh, taxpayer assistance programs locally, um, and then also offering retirement coaching as well. Wow. So, that, so it's, yeah. that's everything from credit cards to student debt to housing to retirement. I'm like, you're sort of... You have all the stakeholders. All the the stakeholders all the way. We do. We're really focused on intergenerational wealth so that, you know, uh, you know, we're working with seniors and also young adults, um, parents um, throughout the greater Delaware Valley. So southern New Jersey, Philadelphia, surrounding suburbs and Newcastle County and Delaware. We have 18 offices and we're ready to help. Yeah. So uh, the intergenerational part, I think, is really important because it really points to the issue of the the wealth gap. I mean, people will often talk about differences in salaries and income. But in the end, it's really this question about wealth, which is, you know, not just what you earn each year, but what you have and what you can draw upon when you need it and or share it with other people. Right. That's absolutely right. Um, And so, you know, wealth really positions households and families um, to redress debt, 
um, and hold and, and make investments um, far and above you know what other families may be able to afford. And so when we think about wealth, you know, um, the Center for American Progress um, revealed in 2013 that um, the net worth of African American households was $11,000. For Latinx households, it was $13,700. So that's just one thirteenth and one tenth, respectively, of median net worth of white households. Right. So, you know, what does that mean? Well, when we're talking about wealth, we're talking about retirement plans, uh, savings accounts, um, home equity, right? Um, Some of those, you know, bare uh, basics around wealth um, in addition to brokerage accounts. And when you don't have access to tap that wealth, that means uh, school is more expensive in in terms of even private school or, um, uh, you know, post-secondary education. It means uh, passing down, uh, you know, a a great generous wedding gift for the next generation to buy their own home. It significantly limits your ability to afford a, you know, a a car repair and just altogether just general expenses that, you know, crop up, um, financial shocks um, that hit families routinely. And, you know, not having access to tap that wealth, even just in a basic savings account, really restricts people's opportunity to really address those without, you know, falling into the fringes um, and in deep, deep crisis. So, Sanaya, when do folks engage with Clarify? So, you know, is this something that is a service that is... um presented to someone alongside other things, like when they're applying for a mortgage? Is this something people seek out when they're at a particular point in financial crisis? Tell us a little bit about that. Well, it's actually both. It's a great question. So people see us in crisis and also preventative. Um, In crisis, they might come across us, um, you know, because they're facing foreclosure. Um, and so, uh, or they're, you know, overwhelmed with student loan debt or credit card debt or any host of, you know, financial crisis that um, can put them in a place where they need some guidance and some support um, to dig their way out of the hole, um, to stabilize um, their expenses so that they can actually, you know, get some breathing room. So they might come to us in that way. Um, preventative, um, that's part of our financial coaching program. Um, that includes some of our, you know, our credit improvement, our retirement planning work where we're getting ahead of it. Um, most people just want to know, am I doing okay? Um, am I on track? Uh, you know, and just to have a third opinion, an expert in the room to sit down with you one-on-one, in person, face-to-face, and speak with you for 60, 90 minutes with a full sort of, you know, autopsy about what you're doing and if that's the right, in fact, decision with all your cards on the table. Um, and, you know, being in a position where clients can actually learn more so that they can self-advocate. So people see us on both sort of spectrums. And, well. and I just want to highlight how important that is and, and something that makes, you know, finance and, and wealth so tricky is that it is it does still sort of carry this taboo um, where you don't have as candid conversations with your friends and family about money, um, about money you know, as about, you know whatever the latest movies and television are, or even other things that are important to you. It carries that sort of social stigma, and it's awkward for a number of very legitimate reasons. So um, it's just as simple as it sounds to have a 90-minute conversation with sort of all your cards laid out about your finances, that's probably really healthy and really rare. Absolutely. And culturally, as Americans, we don't talk about politics and religion over the dinner table. Mm-hmm. Um, it's easier for people to talk about their sex lives than it is to talk about money sometimes <laughs> because we shame people a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have enough. It's, it's your fault. And we often uh, conflate poverty um, with a mismanagement of resources. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those aren't necessarily the same thing. 
And so what we try and do is provide a non-judgmental space for all of our clients to really get the information they need um, and so they can move to the next level, move the needle um, in, their, in the spirit of serving their own best interests. And fulfillment of our mission was to help people maintain and retain their assets. So. That's how, that's how we approach it. Awesome. Um, and then the preventative piece, right? right, when, right. It, when it comes to health, when it comes to financial health, you got to love a good dose of preventative medicine that, you know, allows you to avoid the sort of in-crisis need for services like Clarify. And we have this cool opportunity to talk to all of our listeners and get some preventative advice. Um, Sanaya, what would you say, you know, what would you say to our, our, you know, hundreds and thousands of listeners (laughs) who are going, oh gosh, this is a really good reminder that I need to be thinking about this more. What are the the couple of things folks should be thinking about or questions they should be asking themselves? I would say three things. Um, I should say ourselves. (laughs) What should we? (laughs) I'm writing these down too. Absolutely. So, One thing you want to do um, is have a method where you're uh, tracking your expenses, your household expenses. Um, Most times when clients come to us and they either are preventative or even in crisis, um, they're really guessing as to what their variable Mm -hmm. expenses are. Do we know how much we spend on, you know, repaying a, a you know, a, a fixed expense? But we really struggle on how much we actually pay for grocery bills or eating out. Um, and so having a really diligent way to track your expenses can give you the information you need so that you can decide, I need more of this and less of that. Without that data, without that information, you can't start to make those decisions. Right, because you right? just sort of know at the end of the month you don't have a whole lot left over, but you're not certain where did it all go. Exactly. you got to know. A lot of us, we know we don't break a $20 bill because we know once we break it, it's gone, right? <laughs> um, and so it's really important to have a really oh, yes. clear methodology yep. as to how you're going to track expenses. Okay. Um, the second thing I would say is, you know, every 12 months um, is to pull your credit report. Um, that's just now with all of these, you know, hacking and breaches, um, it's really, really important um, to make sure that you're protected because assets, one of your assets is credit. Um, and you want to make sure that that muscle is very healthy and well exercised so when you need it, if your car breaks down, um, you can go and buy a new car without, you know, without too much trouble because not only do you have the savings account, but you also have a really strong um, credit profile as well to get you access to debt cheaply. So um, pulling your credit report is critical through annualcreditreport.com um, once every 12 months or coming to see Clarify and talking it over so you can understand what you're looking at. Mm-hmm. Um, once every 12 months. The last piece I would say um, is what we newly added um, to clarify. And, you know, you can do this with if you have um, a brokerage account. Most brokerages will offer a free one-year, you know, sit down with your broker and kind of go over your portfolio and rebalance it. But to really understand what you're doing now and how that sort of marries up to what's going on in the future with respect to retirement and long-term financial planning. Um, so we can't look at your current household balance sheet or income statement, if you will, without thinking about the long term as well. Right. And so having that context is really important. So I would say those three things are things you want to start working on. And you're listening to Dows and Change on Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Warden School. So what about youth and the young kids? Because, of course... All the things that you read and the advice is if you start young, you've got the power of compounded interest, et cetera. 
But if you're young, you feel like you've got so much time and there's so much you want to do. And you might have so little money. And you might have so little money. Well, what, what kind of programs do you have for, for teens and, and how are you how are you working with them? Yeah, so there are a lot of organizations within Philadelphia who focus specifically on the K through 12 um, space. Um, we take a different approach where we focus on sort of the often forgotten um, young people who are um, parenting themselves, mm. um, young people who are LGBT and might be essentially functioning as adults because their families um, lack the support um, in their in their lives, uh, working with youth who are aging out of foster care. And so what we try and do is work on with those marginalized youth um, to make sure that they have the resources they need to be successful and to prop them up. And so we call them youth who are essentially are operating as adults. Mm-hmm. Um, and our also approach, sort of our holistic way of thinking about intergenerational wealth is if the parents can stand up, so can the kids, right? We, we've heard from so many parents where there are lots of programs for their children, but not enough for them. And so, you know, we're struggling to make ends meet, and my kid's great, but I need some support to make sure that they have a well-rounded, supportive experience. And so we focus a lot of our work on, on adults so that they can be um, the the foundation on which kids, kids can stand. Yeah, and then they mo- they model the behavior, yeah. right? There's an efficiency there. And having worked in the nonprofit space, there, I, I'm, I'm familiar with how um, how much funding is available for youth activities and children in schools and all that that, that sort of stuff. So we cer- certainly get that. Um, how how does Clarify measure its impact? So you know, obviously, humongous social impact opportunities to help someone be more in control of their finances, have more agency in their decision making for their family because they've got that stability. But what does success look like to you guys as a number of, of individuals that you work with? Do you measure results? Yeah. Tell us more. Good question. So, yes, we absolutely measure both. We measure, I would say, outputs and also outcomes, and that's sort of inside baseball for nonprofits. Mm-hmm. Being, right? So we measure by outputs, I mean the people who come through the doors, who sit down with us for counseling services, which we do about 13000 a year. It's a lot. So, yeah, a lot of people we see throughout the region. Um, and then we'll see, we'll, uh, this year we'll complete about 300 education workshops serving about 4,500 people. So those are some of the hard numbers. But in terms of our impact, um, if you look at our financial coaching program, so we've probably reached about 300 people. We've graduated about uh, six dozen uh, pairings or whatnot, and so over the course of 2017, our clients have saved 118 thousand dollars um and they've paid off about forty four thousand dollars of debt Mm. so we measure success um through sort of our the way in which um we approach a lot of our services through action planning um through follow-up with clients um and we have a lot of you know resources to actually measure our 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 um, our outcomes so actually we can see how much credit has improved. Um, we see clients who, on average, you know, uh, particularly with the boot camp, we'll see average credit scores go up from 40 to 50 points. And we'll see outliers, too, of triple-digit growth. So it just really depends on, you know, how we see you and when you come to us. But we do – it's really important for us to measure outcomes, to measure our impact, 
so we can share that with the community and know that we are serving and helping people move the needle. And so you mentioned a boot camp. Can you tell us about the boot camp? Yeah, so the boot camp um, is a nationally recognized program. We've been doing it now for about three to four years. Um, and it is, uh, we have about four to five boot camps a year. A boot camp is um, a program where we combine financial education workshops, financial counseling, um, and financial coaching over the course of six months. Um, so our clients come to us in Philadelphia. We also have partnerships with Habitat for Humanity in Bucks County. Hmm. Um, their, you know, prospective home buyers um, engage in this program oh, as smart. well. That's yeah. So as, as you had mentioned, Zandy, you know, you know, we don't have a lot of resources, so we got to be efficient, right? Um, and so what we try and do is collaborate with collaborate with other community partners. Um, and the boot camp offers financial education around credit improvement, um, getting ready for home ownership even, um, saving, addressing um, uh, budgeting challenges and mismanagement issues. And they work with a financial coach um, over the course of six months. And that coach comes to us as a volunteer, and we train that person. And it's a wonderful program. Um, it's been wonderful success, wonderfully successful. Um, and so we've been doing that for a number of years now. No, and I, what I would like about that is that since it does take place over six months and that you do have an opportunity to see what, what the outcomes are. You know, again, pointing to the improvement in a credit score. That's something that can change fairly quickly mm-hmm. once you start doing the right activities. Um, and that's that's got to be a nice bit of, of positive reinforcement. It's sort of like you told me it would, it would get better, and it did, which is, which is great. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, our coaches are not financial experts. We don't expect them to be. What we do rely on is our, you know, our expert financial counseling staff who set the uh, guideposts on what the client needs to focus on based upon the client's goals over those course of six months. And so the coach is just acting off the action plan in partnership with the client. So when they meet once a month, they say, well, how are you doing? And kind of ask um, active questions, um, some, you know, leading them, some powerful questions, and really act as a sounding board, almost a professional friend, mm-hmm. holding you accountable. You know, you said you're going to shop at this grocery store to save some money. Did that actually go well? How did that work? And help the client problem solve around life, right, that well, gets in the way. Yeah, it sounds like, you know, those those life coaches that, that I was say, it sounds have. more yeah. like a coach than an advisor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious, what are some misconceptions, Sanaya, that you think people have or sort of, um, I guess, whether they're stereotypes or or sort of false perceptions of finance and wealth management that you have to help uh, folks overcome frequently that our listeners might be listening, thinking the one I'm thinking about is, you know, I don't have enough money to be to invest or um, I'll never change this. You know, what are some of the things you wish you could just grab everyone by the shoulders and say, hey, you know, listen. Yeah, Yeah, um, that's a great question. And I can't say this often enough. What uh, I hear all the time is those two things. One, I don't have enough money to save, which you touched on. But the other one is this is too hard and I couldn't possibly understand, Mm. right? Um, Mm. And I think financial media has done an excellent job of (laughs) making this seem incredibly difficult. So that's why you need to pay for a financial advisor, right? right? Exactly. Exactly. Otherwise, you know, they don't get much, they don't get a lot of take up for their services. So this has to seem really difficult. Um, And it's really not. Um, I think, you know, with the ticker running at the bottom of CNBC every day, you know, everyone feels like this is something they need to pay attention to every second of every day. 
and that this is whole, you know, just incredibly difficult, and so why bother, why try? And so our staff is excellent at making the misunderstood understood, at making the difficult to approach approachable, and breaking it down you know, very simplistically and approachable so that people can access it and feel empowered that they can continue to do this work in partnership with us or even on their own going forward. Excellent. No, I think that that's great advice. So one of the things that um, is is a really interesting question, again, I'm going back to the, to the wealth gap around that. Mm-hmm. Has that has that changed much over there over the past years? Is there any sign of improvement, or is it is it getting worse as far as you know? Unfortunately, it's getting worse. Uh-huh. <laughs> particularly around the Great Recession and mm-hmm. the, the housing crash of 20, 2008. Um, so the median white family lost sixteen percent of their wealth um, with respect to the Great Recession, while the median black family lost fifty three percent. Yikes! Yeah. Um, and the median Latinx family lost sixty six percent, according to um, Pew. Right, and so the challenge there is that for many black and brown communities, the only path to wealth generation has been in their home. Um, real estate is very accessible. It's not an abstract concept like debt and uh, debt bonds and stocks, right? And so people who might be first-generation home buyers or um, just don't have a familiarity with investing, real estate is very accessible. And so a lot of black and brown wealth is in real estate. And so when the recession happened, it, it, it crushed um, black and brown communities um, beyond the fact that, you know, they were overwhelmingly offered subprime debt. Well, and I think that it, your point there really raises the, the uh, issue that if you have your wealth concentrated in one thing in your home and you're foreclosed on, mm-hmm. you lose your home, but you lose your wealth, right? That's and, right. And That's those right. two points are are both interrelated but but really important exactly and then think about from an intergenerational perspective it's compounded yeah exactly yeah so what we tried to do with this particular boot camp that launched um november 20th is to diversify the path for wealth generation to broaden uh the opportunity for black and brown communities to access wealth beyond home ownership to include investing and to demystify the fear around that as being you know going into sugar house casino it is not that um, and so talking through using our retirement coaching uh, platform to have those conversations intentionally with folks. Do, do many of your, I said it, I was jumping over each other to answer questions. <laughs> do many of your clients and customers, um, do they have retirement savings available through their employers or are they having to do this by themselves? It's a mix. Yeah. Um, you know, it's twofold problematic. One is that some clients have an employer-sponsored retirement plan, and they might, in fact, have put money into it, even at the match. But the money's sitting in a money market account because mm. they think that's enough. Yeah, right. right. They're not even beating inflation, but they think that's enough because they are fearful of putting their money actually in the market. Sure. Well, when you don't have a lot, risk mm-hmm. is scarier. Right, right, right. right. You know. So that's one of our assessment metrics when people come in for financial coaching or retirement coaching, really, is do you also have a nest egg separate and apart from your 401k, 
right? Um, because that emergency fund can cushion any immediate expenses and then improve your risk tolerance to absorb additional risk, which you're going to need to, need to do mm-hmm. in order to gener- generate the returns that you need to retire. Right? Yeah, and then you avoid. I, I had a I have a friend who um, needed to pay off some credit card, and she took it from her retirement account. And I was like, No, don't oh, do that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That that happens, and it's you know it's painful. We had a client who came in. A few months ago, um, he was older, um, I want to say in his mid-50s, and when the Great Recession happened, he pulled all his money out of the market. (laughs) Hundreds of thousands of dollars he pulled out of the market. Now, he had that money to pull out. That's great. But it's been sitting, essentially, in in a money market account, earning Earning 1% for the since 2008. All of the gains that he's lost. Yes, yeah. Right? Because of fear. Yeah. Um, and, you know, white households rebounded much quickly after the Great Recession because, um, you know, they are more likely, 60% of white families are more likely to have retirement savings or to have investments, right? And so that diversity of wealth building needs to be accessed for black and uh, Latinx families as well so that they have opportunity to recoup losses that might affect one asset class but not the other. So now, are there resources online for listeners who are going, Okay, I'm less intimidated by investing and listening, but I still, but still, I don't know what to do, and I'm not in Philadelphia. Um, what resources would you recommend for folks to sort of challenge themselves to say, "I'm going to do one thing better for myself and my family financially"? Mm-hmm. After listening to this show today, I'm going to take one step forward. Where would you point them? You know. I actually really love the Four Dummies collections. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. The yellow like investing yeah. for dummies. Okay. Yeah. They are really approachable, really plain language, which is exactly what our staff uses to talk about, you know, uh, the, the money management concepts we, we discuss often. And so I would say pick up one of those books. Pick it up on your Kindle so no one else has to know what you're reading on the bus <laughs> if you're uncomfortable, right? Um, and and start there. Um, and start there. Um, the National Foundation for Is there one in particular you would say? Like Because um, I worry that yeah. I'd walk in and it would be like, the personal you know. personal finance one. Take that one. Personal finance. Yeah. Okay. So that's yeah. a nice generic catch-all mm-hmm. for folks. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. And there's lots of other, you know, uh, modules after that as well. Um, the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, um, there is a CCCS, a Consumer Credit Counseling Service, in your region. You just need to only look it up on the National Foundation for Credit Counseling's website by zip code, and you'll find an organization um, somewhat like us in your region throughout the country. Well, um, and then I'm, I'm going back to the the people who don't have um, 401ks, 403bs, et cetera, from their employers. Some people have talked and, and sort of launched um, investing clubs with, where you invest with others. So in some sense, you pool oh, okay. you pool your money, and then it, in theory, perhaps can get different investments. What what kind of advice and and how do you help people who are trying to start investing by themselves? Do do you work to open a Vanguard account or how does that happen? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, after my RA got killed from this most recent um, administration, now there really isn't a safe, free, um, and risk-free investment platform for people who don't have access to retirement accounts through their employer, unfortunately, anymore. So, in terms of people opening up an IRA, it's pretty intimidating walking into a yeah. financial institution to do that. Um, and so, you know, a lot of the some of the the um, 
apps that are, you know, sort of trending right now, um, Betterment um, and Acorns and things like that to get people comfortable with the idea of investing even just pocket change is something that some clients feel comfortable with. Um, I would say, you know, you know, from you know, the online brokerage accounts who are the discount brokers, um, that is a good place to start, but still that can be really overwhelming for people. But, you know, there's a lot of um, services, um, you know, if you just open a small account, um, there, there are minimum balances that are required, but you'll have an opportunity to sit down with a financial advisor and kind of talk through what your concerns are. And then, of course, there's also CFPs. What's um, that? A certified financial planner. Mm-hmm. And then I'll sit down with you. Um, and a lot of them work regardless of the size of your portfolio and will help someone actually build a sizable portfolio over time. Um, and they can be flat fee. They're working as a fiduciary, which, which means in your best interests. Um, and so those are great ways to sort of think about and access um, investing. Yeah, because I can imagine if you've got just a small amount to invest, you feel like you're not worthy of that or that's you know no they're, they're going to look to you like you you want investment advice for this amount sure or just yeah, yeah there's a lot of sort of right. stigma yeah. and well is it going to be is it going to cost so much to invest that it's worthwhile for yeah. me if i don't have you know a significant amount of assets so right lots of if you're here in philadelphia or in the region please call clarify and have those conversations if you're not i think you should totally take up um, the offers and the resources we just talked about because we really need to do a better job as Americans and talk about investing because we're not going to get much further without it. Yeah. We don't have a whole lot of time left, but I want to sort of pivot just a little bit because we've had several guests on from from different kinds of banks, something called Aspiration, which is an online banking opportunity. We had somebody from, I forget what it was called, but it was like the Coalition for Better Banks. That was kind of interesting, really sort of pointing out, look for a local bank who's going to invest locally. I know there's often been a lot of distrust about banks because, you know, we've all been in that situation where you go overdraft and all of a sudden you're you're in this sort of domino effect of fees because they cashed one thing before another and then you've got to do it. So is that getting any better? Are you seeing people being better with banks or are they finding other ways to to store their money? People are finding other ways. um, A lot of prepaid uh, debit cards are really bridging the gap, um, for mo- particularly for people in my generation, millennials, who grew up during the you know Great Recession and the and the crash of the financial markets, who are particularly distrustful of of of, of financial institutions. Much like the you know um, generation of the Great Depression was, you mm-hmm. know, had lessons learned from that generation as well. Um, so prepaid cards are definitely some w- ways in which people they're considered underbanked when they primarily use a prepaid card in terms of um, rather you know, than the industry. Yeah. But um, you know, if you find a card that has a low fee that you can tolerate, that's consistent and makes you feel comfortable, you know, prepaid cards are are some are things that people do use um, because they are distrustful of banks and don't feel comfortable. Of course, there's also you know um, credit unions um, that are in the mix as well. Um, that, you know, are cooperatively owned. And so that might make people feel a little bit more comfortable. But a lot of it's also cultural. You know, some some um, um, some cultures, particularly um, Latinx cultures from South American um, countries where, you know, banks routinely closed in their home countries, there's just an inherent distrust um, with financial institutions. So it, it takes time. It takes education, um, learning about the rules and regulations here in the U.S. Um, but it, it, those are some of the things that people are doing to sort of bridge the divide. 
For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 